How you doing? Good. Just good? Now I'm great. Just had to move that mic. Mm-hmm. It's little things, you know, Neil. Mm. All comes down to the little things. Yes, it does. Are you comfortable? <laughs> yeah, now I'm excellent. You're very Actually, low yep. in there. You can... You just, can... Now we're bullion. Here we go. There we go. <laughs> Stick that chest out. That model it chest. Does actually do, yeah, it does actually make you look more boss. I'll give you that. What, with the, um, with the globe in the background? With the globe world? in the background. These kids jumper in the foreground. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the world's my oyster. Quite literally. Hmm. Yeah, nice marble finish. I know that we were talking I'm about very it proud before, of it. you chose well. Thank you. I'm very proud of it. You know how hard this... I've mentioned this on the other podcast and my videos as well, but it is... These are five separate canvas panels. And again, sorry to the people who are just listening to the audio. That's you, sh- you should be watching it on YouTube. Yeah, so these no are five excuse. separate canvas panels and you have to align them. Uh, they have to be perfectly synchronized because otherwise it will look really dodgy. And it took me, I'm not even kidding, a day of constantly readjusting them. Now, I even had that, I don't know what the tool's called. This is how terrible I am at practical work, but something, the angler, I don't know what it is, but you, you put it on the wall and it tells you when it's a straight line. Angler sounds right. Something like that. There's a, there's a word for Ooh, it, I forgot what it is, but that didn't help much because it gave me the straight line, but then there's there's uh, these sort of the string on the back of each of these panels and you still have to align that string with the line, but you can't see the string because it's on the back. Anyway, I'm sure uh, these uh, this these complaints would uh, come across as extremely elitist to people out there who are really struggling. But look. Yeah, but uh, you don't know Neil's struggle. Exactly. It's all and very relative. Do. And this <laughs> is like, you know, this is like a famine. To, this was like a famine to me. <laughs> yeah, this is what caused personal growth in Neil. Yeah, I just really halfway through talking about it, I'm like, oh my god, I can't believe I'm complaining. <laughs> like, how privileged am I to be like? It's very man, it was club. so hard to put these panels up, man. Oh, but you look, I can feel your pain. That was gross. No, 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 no. You don't don't sell yourself short here. Hmm. Hmm. Art is suffering, Neil. Not and your art my is just arm, kind not of even just art. Sort. It's uh, I'm putting up the art. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Secondhand suffering from art. Yeah. Thank you. Well, you know, the fruits of your labor are shown in that it looks pretty straight to me from the naked eye. You're damn right. I'm glad that that took you a day. Gives you time to think about that being straight. It's real work, you know. Yeah. It's it's physical labor. (laughs) It's very easy. I love your little escape into being a tradie that you get into. <laughs> your your whole house is filled with get. A, a built shelves once, you know. It's that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, I'm so proud of it, even though <laughs> any other, any real tradie would be like, man, this is a horrific job. And you, yep, you know, you, I've even. probably done what they learned on the first day of um, their apprenticeship. They probably, it was probably just assumed knowledge. <laughs> I didn't even learn it. But I'm proud of it, okay? I'm not a, I'm not a practical man. I'm not St- Scott Cam in the same way I'm sure Scott Cam would be proud if he read a book. Yeah. <laughs> I read, yeah, I read okay, a book. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, one that isn't just that we're known pictures for. of coffee tables. Exactly. Have you been watching anything? 
Any um, what do you do in your downtime? By the way, I don't have any downtime anymore. <laughs> you don't have any downtime. Well, except for having said that, I did just watch all of Last One Laughing, <laughs> but that was not downtime. Would you go on it? That was that was sadder than what I learned about the darling. Um, <laughs> that's a big that's a that's a big call, and I'm standing by it. <laughs> that was fucked. Was it really that bad? I haven't seen it. I don't have um. What's it on? Amazon. Amazon Prime. Yay. We sunk all our money into that. It looks quite... Uh, I Look, I know pretty much all the comedians on there personally. They're all great people. Uh, but the show itself looks pretty cringe from the advertisements. Why is mm-hmm. Rebel Wilson... Isn't she a Hollywood star? What's she doing? Yeah. I ask myself that at night as well. And she hosted some other show about dogs. Dogs. Wow, she's really fallen from... Grace, that um, that court case t- took it out of her. Hey? Yeah, I really don't think this is because of COVID, you know. Yeah, I'm sure. Uh, having been a mainstream Hollywood star would leave you financially capable of su- of uh, enduring COVID. But mm-hmm. then again, who who knows? Yeah, who knows how? I was about to make a, a pretty terrible fat joke there, but you could probably tell where I was going with it. But and I wish you did. But- yeah. It was just too what cheap. might have been, hey Neil. It wasn't an. It wasn't because all oh, this was offensive. I was like, ah, oh, it's just easy, easy, it's an easy joke. Still, it, w- it yeah. needs to be said. People, I'm sure people can understand. Uh, you know, it's pretty obvious what I would have said. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you you make the connection yourself. Yeah, you're implicit in Neil's crime. Read my mind. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why. Like, yeah, just being like, you know what I'm thinking about Rebel Wilson, don't you? <laughs> it's a really strange thing to try and implant into someone's head. So with that, with that show, the concept is uh, they're all well. They they all try to make each other laugh, but yeah. the goal is not to laugh. Mm. That's the best they could come up. I mean, they, they no, no, and no, no, they're no. all good, good. a lot of them are really great comedians and smart people, and then they're just sitting there acting like clowns. Dude, the concept was flawed from the beginning because it's from this Japanese show called. And how much better is this? Straight off the bat, ours is called Last One Laughing. Lol, do you get it? Mm-hmm. Fuck, that's your first indication that's going to suck balls. The Japanese one is called No Fun Allowed, and every time you laugh. Ninjas come out from the walls and spank your ass, and it's just Why better they because they're that? not politically correct. I don't know. Oh, the, uh, yeah, it's, but it's, it's Japan, yeah, Japan is not PC. Well, that's equality. If the ninjas are slapping the men and the women equally on the ass, no, but there's also things like that's very. I equal. just remember one of them was okay. So they just always put you in these hilarious scenes. You know how like jackass. Uh, I don't know, say that they were just trying to get bike injuries so they get on a penny farthing and then they just dress as like private schoolboys from the 19th century with that stupid oh, yeah, little hat yeah. and things. It just makes it funnier if you're in those things, I think. They've obviously cottoned onto this. One of them is a no fun allowed where they're like in a classroom and there's just like a headmaster at the front and then just all of us and it's just funny shit happens to them. That's the other thing, right? So it's comedians, but they're just like, enduring all of these things happening to them not comedians trying to make each other laugh they're just in a situation where they're not allowed to laugh Mm. and like for instance they'll just be like everybody watch the screen and then everybody has to watch the screen and it'll be someone who's retarded trying to count to 10 (laughs) 
you wouldn't be able to do yeah. that in Australia, yeah. would you? Who would have thought? But like, dude, like Japan is so un PC. I love I it. No, it's amazing, dude. And so obviously, all these comedians are trying really. I I wouldn't be able to fucking contain myself, and neither are any of them. There's like one fat guy that's just able to get through it every time. He's a gun. Or they'll be sitting in a library and there'll be this really strict library master. And then they'll just like be taking cards and one of them will just be like an X. And if you get the X, the bad things happen to you. And the bad things that will happen to you will just be like a slap machine. Just going like. (laughs) That's funny. That's mad. That's comedy. That's comedy. Watching comedians that aren't good comedians trying to make each other laugh. With the same joke over and over again. This looks like a dick. Well, how's this going to go for six hours? And this was the answer. At the end of it, basically all I was impressed by was the fact that Frank Woodley is a diverse comedian. He's able to move from absurd to... At least he understood the concepts of theatre sports. This is the other thing. It was like watching year seven kids do theater sports where they don't even understand the basic concept <laughs> that if someone is giving you a bad idea, just build on it. Yeah. Don't sit there and say that idea is shit. And these are professional comedians. For fuck's sake. They don't even understand the basic building blocks. Look, uh, in Australia, there isn't that same connection with stand-up comedy uh, and improvisation as there is in America. All of the comedians that's in a America. Crime. That's a crime. They do improv, they act, whereas yeah. uh, um, Australian comedians very rarely are they, if they're good comedians, are they are they good actors? In fact, I don't know. But that's... I don't think I know any. There has to be some element between... No, I, I think we've talked about this before, but the older generations there was. Most comedians from older generations, boomers, for instance, most of them wanted to be actors. But there wasn't any acting gigs. And so they have degrees from like VCA that's and NIDA and shit. Yeah. <laughs> that's how I got it. And I think you're a better comedian for it because mm. you're able to understand the dynamics of performance. Yeah. You studied those things. But then a lot of comedians now just get into it for being a comedian. Well, they're stoners. <laughs> and then they, yeah, and yeah. they think, oh, this is cool. Mm. I can be a philosopher without being taken seriously. So that means if I say something ridiculous i'm not going to get hounded for it like sam harris i'm not going to get criticized yeah yeah so it's insecure philosophers oh man that's what comedians are and, and it's true disciplined am, it's insecure true. philosophers yeah very yeah 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 Fuck. hedonistic very hedonistic and but no they want to be as hedonistic as singers but they don't have the same opportunity to, to yeah. do that i know <laughs> i can attest to that Fuck. <laughs> Such a grim, but you know what else as well? Accurate. This is the other thing that you notice with all of them. It, this is the most intolerable thing about it. That room, that that show should have just been twelve narcissists in a room for six hours. That's what it should have been called. The I would watch that. Would it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and if you look at it from that frame, it becomes interesting. Then it becomes a psychological experiment more than anything. Which is what I was after a while, just to get through it. That's the way that you go through that show. Is mm. just looking at all these people demanding attention, uh, without having grasped the skill to do it. Mm. So it's just people, essentially twelve people in a room, with all this subcommunication saying, "Look at me!" And then as soon as people look at them, you can see the fear in their eyes, being like, "Fuck!" Until someone else says, "Look at me!" And then the same pattern occurs over and over again. Yeah. And I'm telling you, the only one that was different was Woodley. And everyone was paying him out, being like, you're old, you're a has-been and whatever. But he has theatrical skill. 
He understands the basics of improvisation. Well, he he's, was a, he's got craft. He was before the 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 sort of hipster era of comedy where mm. trying too hard was actually seen as you being a sellout. Yes, yes. Which is the most trying toxic in your idea. field? Yeah, is is bad. Wow, That's you're the... actually attempting to structure a normal joke. Mm, what a sellout! I know. That yeah, is, it's like post-structuralist comedy or something. It's all terrible. I get it. If it was a parody, it's funny, but it's not a parody. Nope. That's what they think. And they think that the person that is trying to uh, hone their craft, that's the parody to them now. How did it get inverted like that? That, that is a sick culture. Really, it's all. I think it was very reactionary because the generation just before them were the ones that were the most commercial and formulaic. And so nineties, yeah, yeah. You know what nineties comedy was like? It was it right. was very formulaic. Mm. And so then the reaction against that was, well, co- comedy itself is stupid, so I'm not going to try. And now our generation is like, no, you are stupid. <laughs> <laughs> try. Work hard. I think also... At your craft. What I find really interesting about internet comedians as well is that... With, with internet comedians... Guy, it's always, it's always, you're always leaning to the side. With the internet comedians, I feel like with those comedians, when you're me. watching them... When, when I was watching them, I was just looking at them and thinking, this is... that They are making comedy that is tailored to an artificial bubble. Sorry, internet comedians are doing that. No, well, it depends on how you define artificial, I suppose, because both both are. But <laughs> the ones that they're talking to do is like your point that seventy percent of ticket sales from the Melbourne International Comedy Festival come from the suburbs that are directly surrounding the Melbourne International Comedy Festival. Ooh, international. <laughs> and so, as a result of that, all of their fucking humor is just very like Melbourne wanky. Um, and so they're trying to push that bubble on the rest of Australia and that's why they keep getting smaller and smaller audiences because it just doesn't relate to anyone. But they yeah. keep pumping out that product, that product that is aimed for fucking Fitzroy and just being like, why isn't this shelling in Coffs Harbour? Um, but I think that what's <laughs> happened in the the internet bubbles... It does. There, there'll be a few people in, in Coffs Harbour that are that like mm, real art. And it's not real art. But dude, Again, I like. I think all of the most of them on that show are great people, and they are funny. But yeah, that style that is uh, in, almost encouraged. You know what? It's this. It's the system. The system like <laughs> contributes to it. Like molds people to to. And it does. I was doing it because it I, before that was the only way to succeed as a comedian. You had to appease the powers that be, the comedy oligarchy. And so you had to mold your style into what they found favorable. Mm. And I, you know what? I actually regret doing a few of my early shows. I was, oh, I just want to get the good critical reviews here. And I wasn't being uh, authentic. Yeah, I'm glad. If I was five years older, I probably would have just gone that route. And you know what else is really desperate? I cannot ever imagine being in the financial situations these comedians are in where they were just, you know, one of you wins $100,000. My dignity is not worth a hundred grand. But these people, they must be earning so little 
that they are scrambling to reduce themselves to that. And like not even reduce, because I understand that reducing know, your grand, dignity. grand is a lot of money. <laughs> no, yeah, of course. No. Okay, no, yeah, I'm Indian. You gotta remember this. Yeah, no. You've seen the promotions it's I've done on my on my Instagram, right? I will <laughs> I'll sell out for a lot less than that. <laughs> well, but at least really I have creative control. Position. I have creative control, you know. No, look, See, that's I the even, difference, man. Yeah, but look, I, okay, I, the, the reason that I would go on that show now, just because it's been on, is just like I would like to see how I would react in that situation. But I would never, ever be competing in that role, A, for exposure, because that was fucked. That was nothing but brand damaging for everybody in it. I thought less of Frank Woodley as a result of being in it, and he won. And I thought he was doing the best out of a bad situation in it. But the fact that he was even in it, but I was the, like, this is degrading, but not in the good way for a comedian. It's you're like not the, the target demographic. Are you the target demographic, you know? Wouldn't there be Who some... Who uh, is? I don't Who know, is the target demographic of this? Gen Xers, I think. You know, it's because boomers would be like, oh, this isn't comedy. And then m- millennials... No, uh, early millennials... Uh, Thirty under would be like, "What is this crap?" And then, and then fifty over would also be like, "What the hell is this crap?" But like that's kind of thirty to fifty window. Mm, this is edgy. Mm, man, maybe it <laughs> I is. think maybe it's that. Although you're in that It'd bubble have to now. Be. Right? You're you're thirty. Are you thirty one yet? No, I'm thirty. Okay, I'm um. I, I would imagine that yeah, like it might be. You're probably right. They probably are trying to appeal to me. They did not succeed, but even like people. Well, what that does are appeal to you though? <laughs> what on Amazon Prime would actually appeal to to Jordan? I don't even know what the fuck they have, but like you know, I I wouldn't be opposed to watching Top Gear. Those three are much funnier than the comedians that were on that. I was thinking about that, man. I swear, if you just put twelve people in there and said try and make people laugh, like if you just got the contestants that are on Bachelor in Paradise and put them in there, and yeah, said, they're try funnier. Make, they'd be way funnier, dude. Yeah, way funnier. Yeah. You know what? The, well, that's you know not what the their really element scary... because they're not improvisers. That's the, like you said, Frank, uh, Frank Woodley's the only one that's an actual improviser. I think there are a few others that might have some skill, but stand up no. is actually it is even though there should be that connection, it is a very different art form to acting and improvisation and and being being a comedian versus being a clown are two very different things. And that show, I think, really necessitated that you. You know what? Most of mainstream Australian media, if you make it as a comedian, you have to be a clown. Where is there a comedian who's doing really well on TV in Australia who isn't being laughed, who's who's at. being laughed with and not being laughed at? They're all being laughed at. <laughs> oh yeah, that guy. No, you know what the difference? There's two. There's the offshoot of that would be anyone who's got a profile because of SJW reasons. They're not. Yeah, okay. But again, they're not comedians either. <laughs> That's true. So you can't <laughs> you can't have um you can't have both. So mm. I think that like no I, I really think that these things are just really interchangeable skills. Like if if you are a comedian or you are budding to be a comedian, you have to know the basics of improvisation. Because there's like don't. points. The funniest parts of your of your stand up shows are the parts where you break the script anyway. Yeah, but you need. I, agree. The, I also think that you need the structure there as well. Like I really hate. Well, I don't hate them because sometimes it works really well, but a lot of the times it just dies in the ass. But if it's all improvised, I think that's just lazy. There has to be like again like oh, a nice hybrid on... of the two. Yeah, but it's the same thing. This is what you got about Frank Woodley, right? Is just. 
this guy is a scholar of comedy. He understands all the different styles and he's mastered them over his life. That's obviously what he's been trying to do with mm. his time on earth is being good at improvisation, being good at acting out, uh, getting good at wit, um, getting good at like concise situations, getting good at uh, absurdism, like all of these things he's been trying to hone. Yeah, well, that period of uh, the... Well, eighties and nineties, you would you had you had to be good because there wasn't an appetite for any uh, anti anti comedy or alternative comedy, not in Australia. No, so you just had to be a good comedian. Yeah, say what you want about some of some of the jokes were quite hackneyed or easy. But, but the thing, dude, like they were hackneyed for now. Maybe they weren't back then. That's Maybe they the were thing. Fresh. Exactly. We can look at it now and, you know, I look at some of the, the greats of comedy now and I think, oh, really? But I can appreciate that in their time period, they were very edgy mm. and they were unique. Mm. But anyway, I uh, I haven't watched the show and I don't think I'm going to get Amazon just to... <laughs> I know. Yeah. Yeah, you're really, you're Damn, really missing out. The YouTubers Neil. calling them out. They always said we're the clowns as well, so I think it's a bit of yeah, exactly and just dude. medicine there because early on when we were the first few that were making a career on the internet, how much did they criticize us? Oh, that's not real comedy. Oh, that's that's selling out. Yeah, okay. It wasn't even selling out. We have autonomy no, it was, it over our career low. and our career and our artistic choices, and yeah. that's and and the and biggest thing. Dude. I really need to emphasize this point. I'm sure they were on that because they needed the money. That's sad. That's really sad. These are some of the most uh, marketed people in Australia. Yeah, but the, the, the festival, when, well, everyone in the comedy world, if you rely mainly on live comedy, uh, income is well because of COVID and everything. It's just it's gone. Like yeah, exactly. But you know, being on the internet, as you were saying, yeah, full control, we have an advantage. full control of content. This is the other thing, basically, because they're in that situation. Their managers say this is the only show that's being produced in Australia, and so it's either that or nothing that year. Mm. Those are your options. Mm. And so I don't think that they look down smugly anymore. No, they don't. They haven't for about it, you know, two years now. I think at yeah, least now they on wish me. that they fucking jumped on that gravy train. Oh, yeah, they could. yeah. In fact, I feel like now. we're kicking them when they're down now. Well, we are. Well, that is exactly <laughs> what we're doing I feel right bad. now. And I'm maybe like, our podcast maybe reaches do need more money. people than last one laughing. <laughs> um, but again, I've said this twice already. But they're all as individuals. Uh, you know, I met uh, most of them. I think wonderful people, and they're great comedians. If you go to their shows, they're good comedians. But that show was. I only saw the previews and I just thought, ugh, what is this? this?" (laughs) Granted, I didn't actually watch a show, so. Well, I will say this. Don't know. If you do watch it, uh, I watched the whole thing, which I've pretty much only ever done to that, The Wire and Breaking Bad. Oh, that's saying something. It is saying something. Wow, it's in good company there. Yeah. (laughs) Those are some uh, pretty good shows, High to appraisal. say the least. Yeah, I should give it a five-star rating, actually, shouldn't I? Mm. Um, but, yeah, the Damn. whole reason why I'm Damn. just watching that is just being like, dude, like, you, you just sit there in, in sad disbelief. That's why you're watching it the whole way through. It's addictive how sad it is. Whoa. 
brutal. <laughs> All right. Well, well, we don't want to do a whole podcast just bashing them. Well, I'd oh, be you pretty happy would. with it. Yeah. But yeah go no, on. I'm starting to feel bad now. <laughs> now, this is changing the subject entirely. Uh, I want to just throw out an idea I had for society. And when you tell me what you think, you're the political guy. So <laughs> that's what. Oh, you're, you're the guy. That you do those political videos, man. What do you think about this? You're that lefty guy. Eh? <laughs> so good. I have an idea. <laughs> <laughs> what if we put Coke in, in the uh, Murray Darling instead of water? How sick would that be? Come on. That would be sick, man. Like you go have a shower, but it's just Coke, man. And fuck up all the big irrigators. You can't grow shit with that. Exactly, bro. <laughs> Fucking win-win, man. Like, take down the big wigs, but also But sick, also tasty as fuck. Sick for the boys, you know? <laughs> or like, put beer... Or that would be the most... That would be like the hecticest thing ever. You just put beer in the Murray Darling, man. Like, yeah. And then you're getting drunk all the time. It'd be sick. All the Murray the most would die. Aussie shit ever. <laughs> 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 all right. What do you think of this? All right, I had this idea that after high school, I know there are some countries that already do something quite similar to this. So after high school, people uh, have to do, say, three to four years of national service. And it doesn't have to be military service, but any any sort of low-skilled job in a, in a sector that is uh, run by the government. So it can be military service. It can be, you know, in, in, in care, um, but it would be, you know, probably a helper to... to one of the more um, skilled care professionals or in environmental protection or in um, in um, more of the cultural sphere, which is what a lot of young people are really passionate about. So uh, helping migrants or helping in the indigenous, whatever it is, you do four or so years of that. And you don't you don't get paid directly for it, so you maybe you live on campus or something like, well, not on campus, but you know your accommodation is taken care of. Maybe you get like a basic food allowance. At the end of those four years, you get a lump sum of say I don't know two hundred thousand dollars, which is probably more than what your labor would have been worth. But it's still you know you it's not like you're just getting that money for nothing. Then that is a, a system of universal basic wealth because the biggest issue that's facing, uh, well, one of the biggest issues that's facing young people today is just the, the disparity in wealth between boomers uh, versus millennials and now Gen Z, which, you know, basically can't get into any market. So you get this $200,000 lump sum or whatever. But you can't actually take, you know, it's it's like a superannuation essentially. So you get like the dividends of that each year, and then it it maybe it's tied into like an index fund within the economy or whatever it is. But that hopefully grows each year, and then that works as a universal basic income, which is uh, a similar proposition to what Andrew Yang was running on in America. But instead of the government continually paying every year, it's it's coming from the the dividends or the you know the the revenue from that uh, base amount of wealth. Um, and then after that, so say, you know, you finish school at 16, 17, so then you're 20 by the time this finishes. You've got four years of life experience of having done done a job. You've got uh, some some money now. You've got, accrued some, you've got this asset. Um, then you can, that's when, you know, people can then go into higher education 
uh, or whatever they want to do after that and they're not crippled by debt. They've also been able to uh, not just go from regimented study straight into more regimented study and I think that would make people a bit more grateful for uh, being able to go to uh, higher education and also what it can do is it can really unify people because a lot of uh, a lot of the cultural criticism of, of today is that there isn't this sense of uh, unity among Western countries anymore and everyone's very tribal. So this is a sort of system where if people do do national service for a set amount of years, at least that is a sort of common experience everyone has. Everyone sort of knows that they've contributed a little bit. And that is usually the age where people are very can be quite idealistic and you can then go and live out rather than just you know, posting about it on Instagram. You can go and live out what you um, value in the world. Um, but anyway, I like like you mentioned before, a lot of countries do do similar things like this. But what do you think? What do you think of it? Do you think it could work? Not as broadly as that. Obviously, it would need but to be like- nutted out. There's just a very broad concept. As yes. opposed to because I like the idea of of a UBI. I think that's a sort of quite a fair system, and there's something uh, when it comes to redistributive measures. There's something a bit more almost cruel uh, that can have quite a social cost in say, oh, you know, you're on welfare, as opposed to you know everyone just getting this kind of slice of the pie, which I think is quite fair and. Um, and just, but this would be a similar sort of concept, but instead of a strict UBI, it's more like a UBW, universal basic wealth. Universal basic wealth. See, that would be really awesome, especially if you were tying it into the superannuation and and no one could touch that. And then they'd be set for life and then that would, you know, through cumulative interest, there would be no need for a pension. Exactly, yeah. So um, that's the other benefit, I like to think. That's the benefit. But the thing is that you also need to include living expenses. Sure. So you can't yeah, just take cost, the $200,000 yeah. because people need to eat and they need to be clothed and housed. Yeah, so that would be covered by... The two hundred grand. No, no, no. That would be on top of that. On top of that. Yeah. Fuck, that is an expensive program. Is it? How expensive is it to, uh, you know, cheaply house a... Some seventeen-year-olds. What? <laughs> For over. Look, the thing is, people they do normally do this, and they do it through military service. So, like South yeah, Korea, yeah. Israel, they usually use it through military service instead of just saying that you can go into any program you want. Because I think that the thing, there's two things, there's two advantages to that. If you're just allowing people to go into anywhere, mm. any sector they like, that is rife. For exploitation, especially if you're allowing employers to check in and say, yeah, this person worked these many hours or whatever, and they're in control of the money. This is what's happening with JobKeeper now, right? Because the government allowed businesses to dole out this money, Mm. essentially businesses are taking advantage of this and coming up with ghost employees so that they just get all these paychecks for nothing, right? Um, Okay. So it needs some oversight. Well, yeah, you would need strict oversight. You would. Yeah, I think that the reason that they, it's much easier if you just make force everybody into one institution like the military. The only my concern is that is it is, I mean, how many seventeen year olds 
actually want to go into the military. Well, this it's is no genius. longer embedded in the the cultural ethos of being an Australian. Was uh, you know, and yes, it, previously people would be proud to serve their country, but now it's almost being part of a Western military force is almost a political statement in itself. Yeah, it is. So. But I think you'd be hard pressed. I mean, there there would there might even be a, like a revolution then if you said oh, every eighteen year old has to join the army now. Look, it doesn't necessarily have to be the army. You can put it into another institution. But I think that you would have to. the The advantage of an army is that an army is sort of works just like a really efficient dictatorship almost is how a army actually functions so you need cooks you need cleaners that's true that is true you do need other roles in engineers yeah doctors basically all the roles that you would need for a society are in the military Mm, that's a good point and that's how they use it these countries like israel and south korea they basically force all of in south korea and singapore it's just men but i think in israel it's men and women they force them all in and then they're able to just pick out talent and they can say, you have a knack for medicine. You should be training in medicine. And then they can move people into that part of the, they can more efficiently mm. divvy mm. out people's talents if you put it into this one institution. The thing is, as soon as you start putting it out into separate institutions, I oh. think that you're just going to... I'll say it's not just maybe it's not just open-ended, but there's maybe four or five institutions and they, co- and they cover uh, a, a wide array of interests that, teenagers may have yeah like that movie relic whatever the fuck it's called i think that actually would work a lot better maybe just five sort of things like i don't know yeah like military a green would be one of them. army yeah yeah something like that and then what a you know uh something to do with uh refugees and um asylum seekers because i could imagine like social welfare yeah so many you know a lot of young people would sign up for that and then again they can sort of put their act they can put their words to use because it's one thing being vocal about and saying the government needs to do this all right look you we're giving you an opportunity to do that then to at least help in that regard yeah the thing is that like uh it's it's sort of the same thing as job keeper now how, well, actually, the economics like... of that is kind of working. It's 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 open to like huge exploitation. Sure, it obviously sure. could have been instilled a lot better than obviously what a liberal government would have done to it. But the thing is that what you're doing is you're injecting, artificially injecting all this money into the economy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yes. I mean, with the the difference, I would first point out is with JobKeeper, it's. In many instances, the business can't can even continue its operation. So take, well, comedians, for example. They, it's not like, uh, say, for this scheme, people are actually contributing some sort of labor and maybe they're getting a, a, an accentuated rate for that. But it's not as though they're doing nothing and just getting paid for it. That's true. I think it's a really good idea. I think that it's it's very, very open though to exploitation. And I think that in terms of in terms of payment, theoretically, and again, you'd be able to do this if we actually utilize the mining boom properly instead of just squandered it, but um, 
theoretically, if you built all of this government housing, well, that basically covers that cost automatically. You set up these kind of government companies that feed people on these lots for this four years. So pretty much your, your greatest expenses are just taken out and then maybe you just you give them just standard uniforms or whatever. Sure. Um, it's sounding very communist right now. Yeah. <laughs> so you'd have, have to do be, it. That's the I way mean, you, you'd you in a way, it, right? yeah, yeah. I don't know about the uniform, but like, you know, other than that. <laughs> well, the cheapest way possible. Yeah, You're yeah, just yeah. trying to make it the most cheap, utilitarian way sure, you can. Sure, 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 sure. <laughs> That's getting very... Uh, <laughs> no, it's not my vision, but... Um, it just costs so much to start it up. Yes, like I'm, there'd be I, huge I, hundreds of billions of dollars of investment minimum. But then once that is up and running, yeah, yeah, you know, initiated over um, uh, even ten to twenty years, started off in one state, or not even a state, started off in just one district, make it optional, and then slowly but surely, if it works, I'm not saying all right, within two years nationwide, this is just done. Um, just sort of slowly initiate it. Yeah, if you slowly initiated it, but the, the the real genius of it is if you forced all of that money to go into a superannuation fund. Well, that's now the that's, other that's the other thing. Yes, because that's I think that's it. Yeah, happening. Yeah, that's that's the real because if you were able to do that, that program you give that a few decades, that program will be self sustaining. Yeah, that's the goal as well. Um, because you, yeah, you're pumping that back into, into the economy, as opposed to just a, a UBI scheme where I can get look. In theory, you're doing that too, but there's just a constant recurring cost in a in a UBI. It's just you know the government's always having to pay everyone. It'll be it it'll be just like a job keeper permanently. That's what a UBI is. It is like that. Where, well, the thing is, again, I think UBI, if it was just doled out from the... It would be more like Kevin Rudd's stimulus package, just the government doling out this money hmm. every week as opposed to what happens uh, with JobKeeper where they just give it to businesses who then dole it out, which is sure. obviously the, you know, just a really stupid way of doing it. <laughs> um, yeah, so then the, 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 the difference there is that... Um, I would frame it more as a universal basic wealth as opposed to a and universal I think that's a way better thing. Income. It's but a way better. The wealth the, the dividends or whatever, you know, the there'd be um revenue from that wealth. Whatever that wealth is tied into because it have to be as safe an option as possible. So it yes, it's prone to, you know, ups and downs and things like that. And that would then affect the income you're getting from it. But then everyone in ideally, if you know, everyone in the country has this was on this program, it would affect everyone equally in that sense. And you could I I'm so bad at maths, but let's just say that there's a million people on this mm. and they're all making fifty grand a year. Fuck I'm bad at maths. I don't know what the fuck that is. What is that? Fifty a billion dollars a 50. year? No, it'd be more than that, wouldn't it? A thousand no, it, times I think that's, fifty thousand. I think that's fifty billion. Yeah, so a lot of money. <laughs> a fuckload of money, dude. Yeah, yeah. fifty billion dollars. Let's just say it's fifty billion dollars. Even though it's probably more than that, but like, let's just say there's fifty billion dollars a year yeah, going into a superannuation. 
And that is just accumulating the average 10% return. So that's like 55 billion. But then the next year, it's just 100 billion. But it's labor that otherwise would have been paid for by the various uh, industries anyway. So if those, you know, if those students didn't fill that, that role in the military, the, the military would have just, someone else would have, would have been on the payroll anyway. Hmm. I mean, not necessarily. It wouldn't work exactly like that. But, uh, you're not i i think hmm. what you're really doing is you're really stopping a lot of the burden that society has to pay for you at the end of your life at yeah, the end of your life of- that 30 years that usually you just go on to your superannuation you don't have enough for it and then you go on to the pension that eliminates all of that waste so really you're just paying for your own future i think that's the real genius part of it but the other thing is man Superannuation is at the point where really this is what a bunch of the uh, industry experts in superannuation are saying. They are begging the government to come up with a pathway for them to invest in infrastructure in Australia to get us out of the debt that has been accumulated from COVID. That's how much money is in superannuation. I've been using this stat recently a lot of just if 7.7% of our super was invested in renewable energy, we would have 100% renewable energy by 2030. It's it's a that is how big superannuation is. Just seven percent of it can transform the entire energy grid of this country. One of the most expensive things you could possibly do, which is you know, transforming one of the basic necessities of a country, the, the entire thing, wall to wall. That's seven point seven percent of superannuation. If you are forcing people to sacrifice four years of their salary. And putting it into superannuation at the beginning of their life, imagine the offshoot potential of that wealth being generated for the country. Hmm. There is, it is an amazing idea, but I think that like your part of just the building and and forcing people to accumulate all of these skills, dude, that's that's like that's just one of the avenues that's exciting about that idea. There's so many things if people were just. Forced to sacrifice four years of their life for the greater good, there'd be so many positive outcomes from that. Not even wouldn't necessarily even be a sacrifice. I mean, they're probably hopefully well, they're doing something. Skills. Yeah, yeah they, exactly. they enjoy, and they're you know if you're living if you're living with a bunch of other seventeen year olds for four years, like fuck, be pretty mad. It'd be pretty sick. Not at this age now. I would never do that. That's inappropriate. Yeah, and but it, when I was seventeen, fucked. But yeah, a bit. Yeah, but one year. Give Not a, a Bulldogs player. Yeah. <laughs> that wasn't that bad, man. He was, what, 23, she was 17. It's not that bad. What happened to him? He got he had to miss like half the season, got his contract ripped up, but now it's been reinstated. Like, it, it, Well, it's legal. It's legal. Look, the thing that was bad, it, it was on a school trip, and he then like the girl from the school um, messaged him. So yeah, look, it was wrong, but anyway, what a what a <laughs> <The> tangent! <pause. laughs> like it was wrong, but it's not as bad. You know, people were like, "Oh, this is disgusting." It's if you were like twenty three and and single, and like a fucking a seventeen year old was like, "I want to fuck you," like, come on, would yeah, you have like- the self control to be like, "No, I'm representing the great 
rugby league club of the the bulldogs i will yeah, not do if that you're an nrl player no, Jeez, I, don't, I don't expect like... i'm sick of them always just being saying that i cannot believe that you an nrl player are not the the height of morality yeah i know why why is like the burden of being uh the most morally decent people in society fallen on yeah, footy players monday go yeah they're the ones that it, and it works. It's like not in their best interest to be um, self-regulating moral individuals because their job is to go out on a footy field and like fucking rip in <laughs> and like be violent and be aggressive in a controlled way. But that is then going to... Um, the people who are going to be good at that are people who are probably really Thugs. high in testosterone, yeah. aggressive, yeah. Uh, violent people. Thugs, yeah. Who are more likely to commit? I'm not excusing the behaviour, but it's reforming much more them enough likely. anyway. They'd probably be in prison if it wasn't for an hour. Yeah, it's such a and and like half the things aren't even that bad. Well, mm. Mitchell Pierce, like you know, simulating sex with a dog, not actually doing it. Yeah, that that, that guy screwed his life up, didn't he? Oh, he's fine. You know, he's doing really well now. But oh, for a year, that one year, yeah, he wasn't. Uh, he, what is he still a footy player? Yeah, yeah, he's at the Knights. He's making a million dollars a year. He's fine, you know. He's, he's on a lot of money, and he played. He he set up the winning try in Origin last year. It was a big redemption story because for like ten years, um, during Queensland, uh, Queensland's era of dominance, where they had just like the best team in history, Mitchell Pierce was often um our best halfback, and all the blame fell on him. And like, what was he meant to do? You know, Queensland had. Slater, Cameron Smith, Jonathan Thurston, Lockyer, Inglis, Falau for a while. I mean, all future immortals, a lot of them future immortals. New South Wales had like Greg Bird and Paul Gallen. Like, <laughs> what was he meant to do? Anyway, I'm sure most people wouldn't know who those people are, basically. But for Victorians and South Australians and Western Australians listening, they're called real footy players. Yeah, exactly. You fucking pussies. Fucking are you fucking ping pong shit with your fucking AFL? <laughs> Fuck you! That's why you got COVID again. Yeah, exactly. Because you're fucking pussies. soft. You can't handle you're it. Soft. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you heard him. Maybe some spear tackles would fucking shake the COVID out of you. <laughs> Whatever. I'm not a doctor. <laughs> I'm sure there's um some truth to that. If you just shock the body enough, it will uh, go into overdrive. Yeah, the adrenaline yeah, that, that, that comes about will actually uh, influence the immune system to fight again. Yeah, probably. <laughs> Could be some truth to that. Who knows? Yeah. I doubt it. I really doubt that. Anyway, um, I just wanted to get out that idea in this, but like I, I didn't think there would be a full, you know, there, there'd be enough to talk about my idea for the full podcast. But hey, look, let the listeners can take it to, to Reddit or wherever. And I'm just putting it out there in the ether, and then maybe in ten years, some politician will actually be running on it, and I'll be like, "Ah, UBW." Yeah, I see where you, I I know where you got that. They'll they'll refine it a little. You know, mine's very abstract and vague right now, but it could even be a concept already. Tell me if it is uh, somewhere else. But well, that's a it is a huge issue plaguing young people. It's just the lack of the inability to accrue wealth like boomers did. Who could just, well, bought a house for nothing and then now have five and not all of them, but 
it was pretty easy. Yes, it was, well, that was the whole thing. If Free you had ad- any initiative yeah. at all, it was easy. They had no... Um, they Well, tertiary education was all free. You know what's really scary? So it was very easy for them. Comparatively. Just talking to boomers and so many of them being saying shit like, yeah, so I just bought this house in Balmain. Uh, how old were you? 22. Okay. And how much was it? 70 grand. And was that a lot of money back then? Not really. Wow. Holy fuck. Things have changed, man. Even at the Haven't start of... They? Even in just 20 years ago, things it, the house was so much... It was sort of... Mid-2000s, there was a huge jump. jump. And the GFC sort of... It, it didn't even go... It plateaued. And then from um, 2011-ish to 2016-17, massive things just like doubled and tripled. Yeah, it's um, deliberately by design. Yeah, but again, you know what? People who are probably listening to this podcast, if you don't live in Sydney or Melbourne, it's not that hard to to buy property at twenty two. I like a Trains lot of people in 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 Adelaide, per even Adelaide, per like major cities. It's so much cheaper there. But I'm imagining you can still okay. You can probably afford something. But is it a shit box in a crack house? Like, no, no. You can get for the price I got this apartment in the Gold Coast. There was like a four bedroom house. What? Yeah, for the well, same I price. They're right. Yeah, that's the, the Sydney. Real it's just a here. Sydney. Yeah, and specifically Sydney, but Sydney and Melbourne. Sydney so and it Melbourne is a very it. you know we say those sorts of things, but um, for for a lot of people in other cities, and then rural, like regional, you know, I could imagine it'd be very cheap. Although I don't know, there are some little pockets in Australia where uh, real estate can be quite expensive. No, you're definitely right. Even in Lithgow, for example, same thing. Lithgow is what two and a half hours out of Sydney. Houses are three hundred grand there. That's definitely wow. manageable. Yeah, that's cheaper than this. And this mm. is like a one-bedroom apartment. Mm-hmm. No, it's definitely an insane but price here. It's but worth again, it. that's the whole thing. Is <laughs> Not just... living in Lithgow. <laughs> yeah, fair. <laughs> that's... You and you're house, on the road out. But you are on the Lithgow. road out to Lithgow. Yeah, yeah. You're on one of the major veins of big, Sydney. I'm on the Parramatta Road. I think yeah. that's... Yeah, look. That's the whole point. It's exactly what I was talking about in ancient Rome. You clot these cities up for a bunch of economic reasons. And as a result of that, that's why you get these explosive prices. Because really... I mean, houses might be cheap in Lithgow, but you know what else is scarce? Jobs. Can't get shit there, man. But is that is is that by design or is it just the natural ebb and flow of the workforce moving towards a more uh, service-based economy where uh, things would have you know, generally been in, in the in the city and CBD area for ease. But now with a lot of people working from home and with the internet the way it is, you know, I, if I had to, I could probably work from anywhere. You probably could too. Easily. And did. You did. That's right. But the so, majority of people don't have our job. No, but more They're and more people more are, yeah, working uh, from home and, and, 
you know, editors, um, graphic designers. Actually, no, there's a is... range of professions that could probably work remotely. Mm. And now, and if they want a house, then they just have to be willing to live in a place like Lithgow. So that is, you know, some some boomers will say that, and I don't necessarily disagree. I'm Neither not. I'm not saying that there isn't, you know, a big there. There is definitely corruption that exists with the inflation of um, house prices, and then with Chinese um, investors, you know, them causing the price hikes as well. But if you well, do not just, just Chinese global. Yes, yes, yeah. It's actually that is yeah. It's always all the Chinese. The Chinese probably is a lot of other investors too. Uh, if you do just want to live in a house, you probably if you're willing to move, even just in certain western suburbs in Sydney. But people actually, people who often complain about that are people who do. It's like young people on the ABC or whatever. Like, mm, I can't afford a house. Yeah, that's because you can't afford. Yeah, you can't afford a house in like Rosie. Newtown yeah. or the North Shore. Most people can't. Yeah. <laughs> What that is just entire that is just like <laughs> entitlement. Yeah. No, the thing that actually you're right. I don't actually really have that much empathy for people that are always just saying that like I can't afford a house or whatever. And it's yeah, you're right. It's just like well, tough tits for you. Maybe you should just go live out there. Like maybe you know, there's definitely essential service people that I feel for, like you know, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. firefighters and shit that are on low salaries um, that are necessary. But. Um, no, the main thing that I hate about it is mostly that it's just uh, it's it's a ticking time bomb on the Australian economy. That's the thing that's really draining about it because you're just pumping. I think we're up to now 20% of all money in this country is invested in housing. That is not healthy. If one out of every $5 mm. is put in something that has just the subjective value of, yeah, this is worth $5 million, what is it? It's basically just a cave with some lights in it. It's not really doing anything constructive to building an economy. It's just clotting this abstract wealth. That's Damn. not healthy. And when that explodes, because and this one is... What... And, and then I'm sure a large proportion is also in um, shares, which you could argue has that same sort of subjective, speculative You can, but value. the thing is with, with shares, at least in most instances, it's a company. And that company is producing something. Actually, yeah. All right. Yeah. But, it, you know, there's also places like, you know, you can invest in companies that just buy houses. Yeah. It's it's a mixed bag when it comes to the anything. stock market, right? You can invest in, yeah, all sorts of things. Exactly, right? But the thing is that in the stock market, there is at least things that are being utilized and they're actually generating some sort of commodity or some sort of service. Housing is not a service. Housing is a cave. But it is. It, don't you think it's still essential for people to have a shelter and a place to live? The construction of housing is definitely necessary. <clears throat> but just this clotting of somebody owning a bunch of houses and becoming a landlord where they, ba where they are accumulating wealth for sitting on their ass and just somebody, just one of their tenants just there and being like, you scuffed my wall with your shoe once, no bond back. That person is not contributing to society. Uh, that individual example, yes, but then I also think there is. Uh, I would be critical of people who are 
renting and always are attacking landlords as well they'll just get free money a lot of landlords are people who uh aren't necessarily that rich and do just have maybe the one investment property that they upkeep and they say yeah, that's, a lot and that's then, 70% of them yeah and then then if the if someone is uh if they do have bad tenants should they not have the right to kick them out yeah they should they like i i i understand that point but the thing is that you shouldn't be if you were setting up the economy to benefit the future build of this country you would be incentivizing people to invest not in housing you would be incentivizing them to invest in things like because the thing is dude you forget about this right you can invest in fucking anything you can invest in an emu farm if you want to Mm. that's an investment it's just Mm. you, you are training the population to buy up housing yeah that doesn't produce anything so you're making all of this money. Basically, it's just like pooling all this money into a sector of the economy that is completely, well, not completely, but like very abstract. All of this wealth is kind of just perceived and it can drop and it does drop because it's like what's happening in Sydney and Melbourne, it's a housing bubble. When that housing bubble hits, the estimates is that it drop by 30, 40%. So that's 30 or 40% of 20% of the money in this country, essentially. Well, like, let's just assume because it's just Sydney and Melbourne, maybe like 10, 9% of it, but still a huge chunk of this money just disappears. Mm. Just doesn't exist anymore. That's the that's that's what's scary about, like, uh, that's what I think is actually the scary part about housing bubbles and people not being able to afford houses. Because as you say, I think that people should just be decentralizing anyway. They shouldn't be pooling into Melbourne and Sydney regardless. If you can afford, if, if you don't want to live here, like if you want to start a family or one of those people, move the fuck out of Sydney. Get a job there. Yeah. Generate the economy out there. And look, regardless as to the legality and the government incentives, I think just on a personal level, I've never understood people who... Uh, tell me, you know, no, I'm, I'm just a, I'm a real estate investor. I have five properties. I ha- Surely that's not an actually an, you know, an uplifting and satisfying <laughs> way to make money. You're just, you're playing Monopoly. Yeah. Like what are you? You're doing? playing Monopoly. They're very rich. Don't get me wrong. Like Monopoly gets boring after two rich, hours. It's not like just, twenty years. How much you know life satisfaction do you have yeah, there? Yeah. I mean, that's I, a good question. Um, no, I, I mean, I took a lot of pride in, in, in saving and, and buying this, but this is, I never, you know, people like, mm, how, man, I was, I saw this real estate agent once and then, you know, I took it, she came over and she's like, oh, you shouldn't have gotten a one bedroom. I don't understand why you would do that. You should have got a two bedroom, the rental potential and the like value. And I'm like, I don't. I want a place to live. I don't give a fuck <laughs> about whether, you know, if I could afford a two bedroom, I would have gotten a two bedroom, but I don't. I don't care. <laughs> I want somewhere that I can call call my own. Yeah. And yeah. you know, be proud of. But that's the original Australian dream. Exactly. Yeah. Um but just you know, when people and then often when I tell people, yeah, you know, I because it's it is actually rare for like a millennial in Sydney to, you know, own property at this age. I've been very lucky with the profession i've had but the first thing people oh how much is it worth what like who cares what? 
could tell you how much it's worth. Or you could come inside, see what I've done with it. Isn't that more important? Yeah, Isn't that yeah, more yeah. wholesome? Well, yeah. Definitely to you. You yeah. love that. Yeah. Little handyman little things around here. That's and, and that's Indian way Scott better. Cam. That's way better. Yeah, you are. <laughs> no, I'm terrible. That's also true. But you're also you're also <laughs> probably uh, better than you though. Well, I mean, man, I'm not even going to enter that competition. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if civilization collapses, um, I'm not saying I'm going to be reliable at all, but I reckon I'd be more reliable than you. Yeah, yeah, you'd be able to live like six hours longer than me. Which in the grand scheme of things is a lot. It could make a difference, you know. Yeah. <laughs> no. It could make an alliance with some big caveman gang. You're definitely making a safe Become bet. The alpha someone chip. who's wearing like basically a kid shirt as opposed to someone wearing a checkered pool. Oh yeah, mate. Shirt. You know, I was just doing a character before, that's why I'm wearing the flano. Mad. Mad. Just seamlessly rolls into your wardrobe. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I don't know, man. Yeah, I, look, in summary, though, I think that your idea is good. The essence of it is good. Do I ever think it's ever going to be implemented? Not in a million years. But I think that if you were able to gear society in that way, I mean, the, the programs like that are key elements why countries like Israel, uh, Singapore, and so uh, South Korea have just uh, flourished. Another one is the fact that they're just mm. benefits of the U.S. empire, but... These are definitely programs that have been able to regiment their society to prosper quickly. So you it's a cool to, idea. You do have to foster a sense of uh, national and cultural unity within, you can say multiculturalism or whatever, but if people can't adhere and believe in the same national narrative, what's the point of even having a nation? Yes. Yes got to believe in australia no that's man and we then well really right now you, there's too much uh difference of opinion in uh what it means <laughs> to be australian and but the, you know why because there hasn't actually been this kind of uh propagandic effort to really codify the australian image mm. just like most other countries do have that they have a real crystal clear image of what it means to be i don't know french you know but it's but, uh, ironically enough i think our tall poppy syndrome contributes to that because if we uh, if we spend too long talking about how great the country is i think part of being australian is shutting that down and be like all right out. settle down that's good. Like, calm down. That is part of it. <laughs> so it's the very Australian... Australian to not have a sense of what it is to be Australian. Don't you think that that's a real reason why, the, despite the best efforts of uh, media companies in this country to try and instill that sort of SJW movement that you saw in America, it was never anywhere near the level that it was there or England? No, but it's getting... I think it... it, it... It may get to that point. Man, I think it's just in a small, small concentrated bubble. And I think that the average Australian is just like, it's it's not even entertained, I don't think. I think the thing is that like in America and Britain, the counterculture of it, I guess, just got like really arced up and offended by it. But just the fact that 
I was able to, for instance, with John Barillaro accusing me of racism, just be like, shut up. In fact, I'm going to double down and make fun of your ethnicity more and be mm. more offensive about it. And everyone was just like, that's mad. You know, I don't True. think that that really yeah, happens that might, in other countries. That, I doubt that would be able, you'd be able to do that in America. Hey? <laughs> I think that that's just a very, that, that oh. moves into that tall poppy thing. You're right. It's it, it probably is a major reason why we don't have an Australian identity because just any sort of effort is uh, really looked down upon. The cri- the 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 um the criticism there could be that people are in who align themselves with certain political parties are more uh, protected from that sort of ethnic and and racial criticism. So. There's a common complaint from, say, black people who are Republicans or conservatives that, you know, people will call them a coon and they'll target their race and say that it's an affront to their blackness to be conservative. But if anything was said about, I don't know, Obama or Michelle Obama's race, and then it's just immediately shut down as racism yeah and i don't doubt that i think that that definitely happens in the u.s Hmm. i don't think that the same thing happens here well what if i don't know if i did a video calling penny wong like i don't know so what's the most racist thing i could call like whatever yeah penny the slope yeah yeah, whatever it (laughs) is uh do you do you think that the blowback there would be more blowback or it also depends what sort of fan, you know, what sort of followers you, because we're internet personas. So we're not really, you're getting there, but we're not really in that mainstream media consciousness in the same way. No, but, but if we did get into that mainstream media consciousness, they, if, if, if we were like tools of Channel 9 or something like that, they would force us to apologize or our contract would just be instantly cancelled, which either of those two things could have happened. Yeah. But if yeah. you are able to move up into the mainstream media consciousness from an internet following, because I'm just talking about the... the Because uh, th- that's, that's all artificial. That's synthetic that response to that. That is all just, you know, the, the wheelings and dealings within the mainstream media bubble. Yeah. But in terms of the the uh, response from the Australian public, I mean, look, two, for instance, my girlfriend, when she was in the US, she was commenting on it, that in her workplace, just the PC-ness of the workplace was just visceral and you couldn't get away with anything. And even I felt it when I was there. Even if I'd use a word like cunt, or something like that. You could see everyone arc up and look really offended. Just here, it's nothing. There, it's are there nothing? Are there uh, are there comparable sacred cows here though? I don't think. No, you know what? I don't think there are. Is there a word that we would respond in the same manner? No. You, no, but we. <laughs> but the tall poppy syndrome exists here, so that's what we get offended by. Someone came into a workplace and started talking about how great they were. Yeah, smugness. Yeah. Chinese hate smugness, and that's mad. Whereas in America, they... Um, I don't think that... I wouldn't say they appreciate smugness or anything, but they're... 
they will overlook arrogance if uh, if someone's successful and powerful. Yeah. But we don't. No. So I don't think our tall Bobby syndrome is actually that bad when you break it down. Because I don't think it's just people are critical of success. They're critical of arrogance and and successful people being out of touch. And maybe there's more, uh, there's, there's, you know, less of a, there's less rope given to people who are in powerful and successful positions if they do slip up, whereas that might not exist in other cultures. But overall, I think it's a good thing to be uh, wary of uh, arrogance and uh, people who talk down to others. Yeah. So I can't see where... Yes, there's this sort of idea that if you're in a group of mates and, you know, if you want to actually go home and study as opposed to, like, getting pissed with the boys, they'll call you out on it. But, I mean, does that not exist in other cultures? <laughs> you know, if you're in a, an American college and you're not going to a party and instead you're staying home studying, are you <laughs> are you going to be applauded for that? I doubt yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's only when you see this, like the material apparitions of that study, that's when you start getting applauded for it in the US. But in Australia, I just don't think you ever get applauded for it. And that's kind of cool, man. That's yeah. kind of cool. Yeah. I just really like that. I like the fact because I never really understood why Australia liked John Howard so much. And then after reading his book, something just in me, my inner Australian clicked, and I just realized I understand why he was so likable. It's because he hated arrogant people. He hated smug cunts. Mm. Most of his book is him just sitting there being like, Costello had a sort of, uh, uh, you know, a, a feeling that he was better than people that he was speaking to. Personally, I found it quite abhorrent. And every time he was saying any of those points, I was just like, yeah, you tell him, Johnny. That's the reason why. It's because most people that get into the positions of power have this air of arrogance around them. And the more mm. politicians that I meet, the more you definitely meet that. And I'm not taking it away from them. They're definitely impressive people, the fact that they're able to get into that position. And they're usually much more articulate and intelligent than you or I could hope to be. They're very impressive people. Mm-hmm. But they show it. Mm. And as a result of that, they're instantly dislike, unlikable. John Howard is not that. John Howard was the exact opposite he was somebody who was just a. He, he, I can definitely say this: a very humble man. Don't agree at all with his vision of Australia, but sure. he personally was humble. Australians like that, mm. Mm. and that's. I I think that if anything of an Australian identity that you could build from, that's a really good starting block. Just like, in fact, that is the Australian. That that's the Australian image down in a nutshell. Just fuck smug cunts. <laughs> that's sick that's really cool yeah. that's why Australia really hates Waleed Ali and why he's always just sitting there just being like because of racism no it's because you're the smuggest man on television <laughs> he's pretty smug man yeah he's pretty he's, fucking smug he's, yeah he's a bit smug <laughs> I do think he gets unfit like he gets lampooned so incessantly and there are other people in the media that probably deserve just as much but he's just become this kind of like a martyr he's like this martyr for the that like 
I wouldn't even say SJ because it's not SJW. It's like corporate SJW. And he's like the poster boy. But compared to some other... Well, I really can't think just... of anyone more smug. Yeah, look, I don't watch TV, but when I do flick on to ABC or whatever, I'm, I get a same, similar sort of reaction. I'm like, yeah, yeah. All, right. all right, cunt. Yeah, but that's the whole thing, right? People probably listen, watch this podcast. You know what? I reckon a lot of people would probably listen to us and be like, oh, fuck these cunts. Yeah, probably. <laughs> and look, fair. And good on them. Dude, we that's support the whole thing. Yeah. that yes. idea. Yes. Call that's us cunts. Just the fact that like people, the ABC and stuff are sitting there being like, I can't believe that somebody hates me. I was one of the more popular people at private school. All right. Well, we gotta we got to wrap this one up. Yeah, sorry, we should probably just shut up now. Yeah, but look, yeah, you smug cunt. Yeah, that's the end. Fucking shut up. That. Even phones in Australia. <laughs> you're smug about not your anti-smugness. I'm not smug. Fucking, I'm not smug. I swear, I'm not smug. In fact, smugness on an intellectual level is a very poor trait. <laughs> <laughs> How douchebaggy is that? Smug and owning it. Hey? <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> Well, anyway, well, right, well, at we, least we, we discovered something about yeah. ourselves. Covered a lot of topics in that one. Yep. Started off with uh, last one laughing, my idea for universal basic wealth. And then we just went on all sorts of tangents. Tall poppy syndrome. I don't know what we'll call this one. We'll say. We'll think about it. Yeah, that's that's for another time. But mm. right now, I'm really sleepy. Okay. So- <laughs> Jordan's, it's past Jordan's bedtime. No, no. So thanks for watching, guys. Or listening. See you guys. See you next time.